Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We are recording on a Wednesday night with a Hawks home game coming up Friday. Uh, practice tomorrow morning. Eager to hear what, what comes out of that, but uh, Glenn... Is Kyle Lowry currently on his feet? Um, unlikely. <laughs> Maybe although, he's he's, although I'd imagine he's uh, not playing basketball right now, so that makes it more likely he is on his feet. I think so. Yeah, I. You know, I thought I thought the referees had a little better control of this game. I know Hawks fans were still frustrated with the officiating, and there were some rough officiating moments. Um, but I, I didn't think. Uh, Kyle Lowry came close to injuring anyone in this game, apart from the risk he was running when he was drafting behind DeAndre Hunter. He could have stepped on the back of his, you know, heel or something like that. But I, I thought things were a little more under control from that vantage point. Maybe, maybe the league office, you know, said something or sent a communication or something like that. But I thought this game was better officiated, um, even though Kyle still had some Kyle moments. <laughs> He's still trying to do the grift, but I agree that, that overall the officiating was pretty good in that game, I thought. Uh, wh- why did Trey have 10 turnovers? Uh, I think I think he's pressing is, is most of it. Um, I think that they're, um, you know, if there was one thing I could fix around the turnovers is I think they're letting Miami get them really spread out and they're trying to make longer passes than you'd normally want to make. Like Miami really values the triple handoff kind of for that reason is that it kind of keeps the ball, you know, secure and things like that. But one of the, one of the most effective things Miami's doing on defense is keeping the Hawks spread out and they're jumping passing lanes when the passes are a little longer than they need to be or in the air a little longer than they need to be. So there's that. I mean, it's sort of like if you're watching a football game and quarterback throws an interception and you know, maybe I say this is a former high school quarterback, but, and it, is, isn't, it isn't always the quarterback's fault. You know, sometimes the receiver's not coming back to the ball. Sometimes the receiver's not running the right route or whatever. And Trey's teammates, I think in some cases, can make that pass a little shorter by getting into a better spot, giving him a clearer passing lane, shorter passing lane. Um, so I don't think it's all on Trey, but I do think part of it is that he's pressing. The other part is they're letting Miami get them spread out a lot. That's what I see. Yeah, I one of those one of those types of long passes that you've described is you know when Trey has the ball he essentially has one person guarding him and 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 two creeping a step towards him and that the spacing is important in order to try to get the ball movement try to get it towards the ball to the back line but you know they're they're doing a really good job the heat that is of i think sort of masking the switches versus, you know, the impromptu traps. There was there was one one of one of Trey's ten turnovers was, you know, a play where he kind of accepted the switch. He's get, getting ready to do the one on one move, and then PJ Tucker stunts like he's coming to 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 trap, takes one or two steps, gets Trey jittery, but then he just backs off. So Trey's putting this pass up in the air, and Tucker's no longer coming towards him. Like he, you know he. There's there's a certain unpredictability I think in what the Heat are doing, um, and it doesn't feel like Trey quite has the rhythm for it yet. Yeah, and I and I think it's also true that 
when they can get Trey moving left, they you know, play it more like a straight switch. When they get when Trey can get right, that's when you see more of the trap and the and the more firm double. And a lot of the passes come from Trey dribbling right, kind of getting two defenders in his face, and then everybody else, all the other Heat defenders, kind of zoning the rest of the floor. And so I, you can you can maybe even go back and remember a pass from Trey, you know, say ten feet north of the right three point break, going across, you know, to the opposite side of the lane, you know, or you know something like that. A lot of them have come, you know, from that direction. So they don't want Trey to have really any room when he goes right. That's when you see more a more aggressive um, kind of uh, defensive containment on him. When he goes left, they'll play him straight up. Um, with a simple switch uh, and just try to kind of keep him going to his left. So going left, they feel like he's less of a threat. Going right, they feel like they need to be more aggressive. And that's where I feel like a lot of the turnovers are, are coming from. Not may, Maybe not handling those spots on the floor differently and recognizing kind of what's being presented there. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, now that you say that, that kind of makes sense. Um, what do you think of the Hawks' defense? to this point in the series, but maybe sort of total with both games. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about game one the other day and I, and I thought it was, I think I'd call it a B minus performance. I, I think this was a B plus performance. Um, the one defensive adjustment they made was that they didn't play the ball screens nearly as aggressively. Uh, and it looked like they were willing to live with uh, the heat three point shooters kind of um, pulling, you know, pull up three point shots and what they were doing is cutting off more of the paint, putting more bodies in the paint. So they kind of left the, you know, if there's a defender, say DeLon Wright is defending Kyle Lowry and there's a ball screen, you know, they kind of dropped the second defender or cut the second defender dropped it and bring that person up to the level of the screen, just trusted to DeLon to work over that screen and stay connected and challenge a potential shot as best he can and put more bodies in the paint. They, I thought that helped them rebound better. I thought that helped them keep, um, uh, some of the um, drives and, and, and penetration through the middle of the lane that happened in game one, they cut that out. And, and I thought on the side, they were kind of switching when they needed to on the side. And, and in game one, Miami worked on the side a ton, right? And, the, and we, we even talked for the series that Miami likes to work on the side probably more than any other team in the league, I would think. And, you know, there was a, a few plays where even Trey – couldn't show and then get back to his man. He had to switch and, and, you know, and operate on the ball. And it looked like Trey took advantage of the tighter space on the side there. So I thought, you know, the more conservative play in the middle, the good switching on the side, stronger closeouts. Um, and I thought they were just kind of um, alert and engaged and had some sense of urgency. So, you know, I, I, I think if they play that level of defense and can, um cut down the turnovers that that's a winning performance for them against the heat home or away for me. What do you make of the heat? I guess they can't really make it a, a exclusionary. You know, there are a lot of times where it's, which Lowry, you know, doing sort of the inverted screening action on, and like you say, on the side, there's a lot of times on the side for Butler and we even saw some with Gabe Vincent doing it. Are, is that a way for the Heat to keep Trey involved in the action? And, and how is he doing so far? I think it is one way to get Trey involved in the action. It's interesting because most teams 
or, or I shouldn't say most, a lot of teams want to put Trey on the weak side baseline and make him the helper at the rim. And, and he don't really try to do that. They put, try to put Trey into the action, you know, as much as they can. And typically when you're trying to hide a guy like Trey, if you're the Hawks, you know, you want them not in the middle of the floor where a screen can come from any direction and, and there's a ton of space to defend. And so I think they're going down. First of all, they have a natural tendency to work in that area kind of on the side. And secondly, your question is perfect because that's one way to kind of go find Trey when the Hawks are kind of trying to keep him out of the middle and put him on someone that's uh, lighting up in one corner or the other, whether that's P.J. Tucker or, you know, Gabe Vincent or, you know, or, you know whoever, whoever it might be, Max Struess in some cases. Um, so I do think they are kind of hunting Trey uh, in that way. I, I thought um, you know, there was a couple of possessions where um, he got beat to the rim I, you know, I thought that was kind of mental fatigue and frustration kind of catching up with him. It wasn't just him. I mean, when, when a person is the last player that could have maybe, you know, protected the rim somewhere, at least put a body there, and Trace Case is not really going to you know, protect the rim in the traditional sense. Um, and, you know, the play was kind of broken before it kind of gets there, but it looks bad when he's kind of an away defender, you know, um, kind of down there. And there was that really, I thought the, I think the the dagger was that that dunk. Um, like I think it was Jimmy got, um, you know, inside two minutes there, and, and Trey just really didn't have any resistance there. That it looked bad, but you know, I I think that's Trey gave them enough on defense, and I think collectively, um, I thought the change to putting JC into the starting lineup helped them elevate their defense. Uh, you know, in this game. Um, I didn't expect that as you and I talked about after game one, I, I, I didn't really know what to expect in terms of how many minutes JC could handle mm-hmm. and such, but, you know, but I feel like, you know, it, it's when I look at the series, the defenses, if we look at game two and, and I also kind of most of the game one, the defense has been good enough, I think for them to win games. Um, Game one, to me, is kind of a toss away just because of the rest disadvantage, significant rest disadvantage that they had. And you'd have to kind of look at game two and say, if they're that competitive on any, in any game on, on their home court, then that's something that you kind of accept. You just want a shot to win that game, especially a one versus eight. You just want to give yourself a chance to be in it when you have two minutes to go or whatever. And that's, you know, that's, that's where they were. So, you know, I, I feel like they can still be competitive um, game by game, but of course we're at a point now where they have to beat the heat four games, four times in, in five games, which is, a really tall task. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead too much. Game three is an opportunity to do that at home, but I, I think the defense is good enough. I mean, a, a part of that is that Miami's not really special on offense, you know, and and so you know the Hawks being a, a team that has underperformed defensively all season long, you know, Miami kind of plays and offensively at a maybe a low enough level that the Hawks can kind of throw a really good effort at them and have an impact and kind of get themselves into range to steal a game so it, I, I to me especially considering they don't have Clint the defense has been uh acceptable and good enough what what do you see on that end yeah I mean I, I was just about to say that you know when you compare the two strategies of ways teams go after Trey I think if you look at it like sort of broadly I think having him be the helper at the rim is a little bit scarier overall 
than just having him in the action trying to guard a play where the point guard is setting the screen. But it's a it's an entirely different world without Capella. Like I would feel so much better about those actions if if Capella was around and and he's not, and and that really changes the feel of those kind of plays. Like it it feels like it's just as as devastating. Like I I, th- I think like if Capella was there, I'd feel good about you know that that's the way that they're trying to attack Trey. But um, without Capella, it's, it seems like it's a wash. And I think the other part of that for the Heat is that they want Trey to have to navigate screens. They want to bump him as a defender. And it's a, it's just one more way to wear him down and try to make right. him less of an offensive threat in the fourth quarter. And, um, and that's, I mean, that's not, you know, innovative. <laughs> They've been doing that for years, you know, um, but that's, that's something that they're, they're, they seem to be doing um, clearly to me. What have you seen from DeAndre Hunter in the series so far? I mean, well, I mean, I, I like the fight he showed in game two. I like that after Kyle, you know, kind of had that moment where he was run, weirdly running right up behind him and they kind of grabbed him on the rebound, like kind of an arm bar um, kind of situation. I, you know, I liked that fire. Um, I, I know I've seen a lot of analysis on Twitter about how kind of choppy he can be with his decision making and, and how he's kind of slow. I don't really agree with all of that analysis. I, I think anyone would say he needs to play a little faster most of the time. I think that's fair. But there have been times when the Hawks will get into like um, an ad hoc kind of set and he'll have the ball say three steps below the left three point break is one one play I remember seeing on Twitter. And the person who framed that said, you know, why isn't he going? It's like, well, nobody else was, had, had gotten to a spot. You know, he was waiting to see how are we spacing the floor? We aren't really running a set. We're just kind of improvising into this. And, and so I think it was natural or like in that case for him to kind of wait to see, you know, is in that case, is a Congo going to come set a screen or is he going to kind of set himself up, you know, in the middle of the floor, what kind of matchup does he have there, but we want to work the ball, you know, I thought he was letting the floor, the floor kind of flesh itself out. So, I think sometimes the analysis is a little bit too hard on him. Um, I think in other cases, I think it's fair to say he's a little slower than everybody would, than the Hawks need him to be kind of generally, but I don't think it's like, you know, he's this ridiculously slow processor. I I think it's repetitions, um, being robbed of repetitions by injury, um, playing on a really high usage point guard like Trey also kind of um, impacts how many, you know, opportunities you have to get repetitions, you know, acting as the you know, the primary um so i he's been a little slow he's, he's been um a little slow all year long but that doesn't surprise me given the time he's missed last year and this year and the other factors and i i feel like some of the examples that are being shared on twitter um aren't accounting for the fact that the hawks in general are kind of slow to kind of get into whatever it is they decide to do on a given you know uh half court possession has he been like uniquely bad to you or, or um, you know, he, I mean, he was one of their better sh- shot makers in this, this game, you know, yeah, especially, no, I mean, especially I, creating his own shot. I thought, I thought he was doing a pretty good job. You know, I think he's, he's in a lot of those actions with Trey on defense and he's, he's, you know, he, I think like he's made the most of it. Um, You know, <laughs> I think some of those screens have, have, have been questionable and he's, 
He just kind of plays physically and gets through it. And I think he's, you know, considering that Trey is his partner in those actions, he's doing a pretty good job. And offensively, you know, he's making some shots. Honestly, he probably looks a little better than he has most of the season. Uh, you know, he's fine. Like, I, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, there was one play where Desmond just basically bulldozed him on the kind of on the on the right block there. It's like, <laughs> that was one where I thought, understandably, Hawks fans were frustrated. I was frustrated, too. Um, yeah, I was know, talking more about the Lowry ones, but yeah, I guess that technically that counts. was bad. That, did, that didn't even seem like a screen. It just looked like I, that, I can't that, even describe what that was. That was just like I, I don't know. It, it's it, funny because I didn't even think of that as a screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know it reminded me of like, and I'm, I'm I'm exaggerating for effect here, but like you know, back when the Bears had uh, refrigerator Perry and used to bring him in, you know, full back to, on the goal line to block ahead of Walter Payton. It wasn't that violent, of course, but it it, it, it was basketball play in yeah, my it was view. Kind of but a pancake, yeah. Um, but you know, you know, part of what I see though is you know he got up and kept playing hard and tried to help his team win. And you know, I thought he showed a, a lot of composure. I, I thought when he kind of had his double tech with Kyle, that was the right time, you know, for that. Um, I, I you know, I thought when Kyle was trying to chase down that loose ball at half court, and Kyle, you know, f- you know, flopped, you know, into trying to get him a flagrant one. I thought he kept his composure there too. So, you know, I think he's. Um, you know, he's been really inconsistent this year. There's been more bad. Um, we just have to be honest and say there's been more bad than any of us would have wanted to see. It's been a struggle for him. But, you know, you know, I, I guess sometimes I look at it, you know, kind of from a coaching perspective, and he's fighting and he's working and he's, you know, staying focused and he's trying to do the things that the Hawks need him to do. Even if a Hawk fan looks at him and says, oh, my gosh, we got to have a different player in that secondary create a role last year that doesn't change the fact that the Hawks need him to do that right now, you know, to, you know, have some of that. And he's not shying away from it. He's trying, he's, you know, he's doing his best. So I applaud the effort and I uh, applaud the resiliency. Um, even if we all, you know, wish he were a little further along, if not, you know, a lot further along in his development, uh, which has of course been impacted by injury and, and such. So um I think I think they're getting enough from him. You know, they got enough from him in game two. Um, collectively, on offense, they were all, they were all off the mark in game one. You know, completely. You know, I don't single anyone out really for that one. And you know, Trey had you know one of the worst games of his career there. But you know, uh, I still think on offense that collectively they're shooting too many like pull up threes over an entire set defense. Uh, I think that's one the primary reason their percentage from the three point line has been has been bad um but when they move the ball and it finds dre you know he's been i think good enough um, kind of attacking the weak side attacking an overleveraged defense and things like that so you know how much confidence that i have that it will get good dre in game three you know i i think this this season kind of informs us that we're not sure what we'll get from him game to game but i'm rooting for him and i um uh and i i applaud the, the effort and the uh, willingness to kind of work through adversity and stay focused uh, am I missing anything? Are there other topics that you want to bring up? Um, how, how much of a change do you think there was, or how much benefit do you think there was from moving JC to the starting lineup? I'm curious what your thoughts are around that. It, I think it helped with some continuity of the offense. 
early on. And I think it helped them execute their game plan in the first quarter on offense. Uh, I mean, I don't know that it necessarily changed outcome, but I, I, I think that, you know, I think it was overall a, a pretty good call. And I, I think they kind of got what they wanted out of it. I think it helps with the rebounding. It seemed all right. I, I, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised to see it, but I, I think, you know, they're in a pretty desperate spot, you know, and um, I mean, I guess my biggest reaction is I'm really impressed with John. You know, I he's he's clearly not able to catch and finish the way that, I mean, he's an elite finisher around the rim. He's elite catching the ball and lobs and, you know, right. all that sort of stuff. And that's that's just not there for him right now. He's still trying, you know, um, he, he, his free throw and his kind of perimeter shot looks like good and bad. Like it's going to come off that finger, I think, with some good rotation that you want. And so, sometimes it's going to come off that understandably with, you know, not the kind of rotation and, and um, arc that you want. It's, you know, I don't think there's much you can do to control how that comes off of his fingertips there. Um, but I think it looks a lot better than what it looked like bef- before he started, like after he injured it, but before he sat, I think he looks a lot more comfortable now. Yep. Yeah, he's clearly been working kind of with the splint on. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I think he's gotten used to it. I think they've gotten to a smaller splint and they've gotten it to the point where it's like an independent finger and it doesn't have to be like webbed to one of his other fingers. I, I think he looks pretty comfortable with it now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think the biggest thing is the communication and the, um organization on defense i think uh, against the heat you have to really read the play whether you're calling a switch not calling a switch um how much you're going to get up so, you know the big man has to when say when tyler hero a hero or max Struess or whoever is is lifting you know into a dho or lifting into a screen the ball rotating you know to that to him you know the big man you know in the middle has to kind of look and see like oh how well did Herter for Delon stay attached to that shooter? And if they get, if there's a lot of separation. The big man has to make a decision in real time. I got to get out there and help, you know, uh, contest this shot. Um, you know, especially if it's the center setting that screen there. Um, John's just a lot more solid in those real time reads. A lot more solid in the decision making um, than Akongu. I, I think Akongu was able to be a little bit more solid having a lot of his minutes come versus Stedman. Um, and, and so what the, the kind of pressure that he put on the big man to read the whole floor, make decisions about when to get up higher, when to stay uh, sunk further into the paint. I, I thought that was the biggest factor in the Hawks being better on defense was how John did all of that. Um, and, and I'm still super high on Akongu. It's just, this is, this is a lot to ask of him uh, at this point. Um, you know, in some ways it was easier to when he had to play extended last year against the beat because you know what a beat's going to do. And, and the focus is really in beat, you know. But the heat do is spread you out, move the ball, you know, lift into screens, lift into DHOs, and you have to really read how well your perimeter defender stays attached or gets separated from and then decide – where to put yourself kind of on the floor and, and John's just way ahead of Onyeka um, of that right now. So I thought that was the biggest defensive improvement was getting him in those minutes against the Heat's starting unit. Very good. Anything else? 
how much do you think the home court helps them in game three? I mean, I, th- I think it helps. I, th- I think getting more reps against them helps. I mean, they're, they're, they're to the point where they just don't have a margin for error. Right. So, like, I mean, I, I think that they're, they should be favored in the, in the couple of games coming up, but they're, you know, it's going to be maybe situations where they would be lightly favored, at least in my opinion. I think they would be lightly favored in each of these two games, but it's just these are games that can go either way and they don't have the margin of error. So, like, could pretty easily be a, a split of these two games. And, you know, it's, you know, they, they, by by getting to that point, like one tray turned ankle or something, and then that's it. <laughs> right. They, yeah. They the cushion is gone. Yeah. I'll be surprised if they're favored. I think they'll be – uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll be underdogs, but yeah, yeah. I just think if, if you put it in terms of like a computer model or something, I I don't know. I I, I think they're more likely to win than lose in Game Three. Yeah, and I mean, for, for and I guess I'm watching the Toronto Sixer series on behalf of the podcast, but you know, I think Toronto kind of showed <laughs> us tonight. You know, going back home, O uh, two, they took Philly into overtime, and and they just couldn't get the offensive juice at the end. The Hawks should have enough offensive juice. Um, you know, they have one of the single best offensive players in the whole league and, um, and such. So if they can just kind of keep it competitive, hopefully um, they'll make the winning plays at the end. Uh, Toronto wasn't able um, to quite make um, against the Sixers tonight. So, you know, I, I, if, if, I think game three and four to me filled both like not a cop-out, but honestly, it felt like kind of 50-50 games. Like any, any, anybody right. could win. I think Vegas will set it about uh, heat favored by, you know, one and a half or so, maybe two yeah. points kind of in, in that range is my guess. I haven't looked, even looked at it. Um, um, but, you know, they've been good on the home court, on their home court. And I have to trust that with, with this extra off off day in between game two and three, the Trey is going back and looking at, what's getting him into these turnover situations and, and addressing that as number one, you know, shots fall or they don't, you know, they got some good Gallo in game one, some good bogey in game two, need both, both of those guys helping make perimeter shots. Um, you know, DeLon's been really, really good. So, you know, if, if they can get some of the things that's been pretty reliable, you know, Gallo as a shooter, bogey as a shooter, DeLon as a defender, disruptive defender and help Trey get, you know, um, kind of his performance straightened out and replicate the defensive performance. I I like their opportunity to have every chance to win both of these games. So we'll, we'll see what happens. So that's kind of where my head is right now. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> they got, they got to take their puncher's chance. They do. They do. What do they have to lose? So, but uh, I mean, just awesome basketball tonight. Uh, Brooklyn and Boston was a great uh, Toronto and Philly was, I mean, an all-timer. Uh, in my view, and um, and you know, Chicago's put together a nice performance tonight. You know, here against the Bucks, so um, another another nice slate tomorrow night. So uh, I know Hawks fans are probably eager to see their team get back on the floor on Friday, see if they get a win. But hopefully, Hawks fans are also able to take in some of these other games because it's a great playoff basketball right now. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Always, Kevin. Thanks. <laughs> Have a good night. Good night.